This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing the story of the Jungle Book, and you'll see how teamwork makes the dream work, especially if that dream is beating up jungle animals with dozens of your tiny monkey friends, and we'll see that snakes are phenomenal dancers. That is, if you can take yourself away without being eaten. The creature this week is from Japan, and it's perfect if you're a young umbrella that's trying to figure out what to do with your life. You can either grow up to be a bony Batman or a hairy manleg. This is Myths and Legends, episode 130B, The Strength of the Pack. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, we met a boy, Mowgli, abandoned at a young age when Shere Khan, the feared tiger, chased his parents from the jungle. Mowgli was later adopted and raised by the wolf pack and educated by both Baloo, the stern and serious bear, and Bagheera, the black panther. One day, Mowgli found himself kidnapped by the banderlog, the monkeys, and taken to the ruins of a human city buried deep in the jungle. When Baloo, Bagheera, and Ka, the snake, came to his rescue, the monkeys trapped him in a summer house for safekeeping, maybe knowing, maybe not knowing, that the house was full of cobras. the second time that day, Mowgli was glad for Baloo's literal heavy-handed teaching style and for being forced to learn all of the languages of the animals. The call of the snakes, the phrase that convinced them that they were on the same side and not to attack, came to his mind, and he hissed it. The room froze, but they didn't lower their hoods. Mowgli hissed it again, and still, the snakes did not retreat. At the third call, when the room finally fell shrouded in the darkness of night, the league cobra hissed for the others to lower their hoods. They were of one blood. The law of the jungle demanded it. The eyes glinting in the darkness fled to the other dark places, with the sounds of tiny feet and smaller, quicker meals. Those that remained told Mowgli to watch where he stepped. However, Mowgli was barely listening. Outside, for the first time in his life, Bagheera was fighting for his life. Bagheera was astonished by the banderlog as they tore at his fur and skin. They probably didn't even know why they were fighting, and one-on-one -on -one they were no match for the panther. Few animals were, but they piled on relentlessly. There were already countless dead monkeys, forming a trail from the wall to the teeming, vicious pile. But no matter how many he killed, more came out to fight. Then, Bagheera heard a yell. It came from far away, from inside a big, hollow room. Mowgli. He was alive. With the sound, the panther found new strength as Baloo, the bear, found his foothold on the edge of the wall. Now, Baloo was no longer a predator, really. He ate fruit and nuts, and his only real interest was teaching and learning. But he was passionate about teaching, and now his best pupil was being held captive by stupid monkeys just over the wall. Needless to say, the banderlog had underestimated the bear. Baloo roared and mauled monkeys left and right, and the banderlog howled in his wake. Their calls went further than that of the elephant ringing through the forest, calling all the monkeys who could hear to them. Then, they truly had a reason to scream. Generations of monkeys have been scared into good behavior by the mere mention of Ka, the snake. He was a monster that lurked on the edge of the forest. The terror that stole bad baby monkeys from their beds at night. 
the thing that ate entire monkeys whole, leaving no trace of their existence behind. And he was here. The snake rose above the massive monkeys clawing at Baloo and Bagheera. And he opened his mouth. With a hiss, the monkeys fell silent. Baloo and Bagheera saw why the snake was so dangerous to the monkeys. With a hiss or a glance, he could entrance them to stay where they were. They might not come to until they were in the snake's stomach. Bagheera and Baloo shook the entranced monkeys off them and started to lick their wounds, telling Ka where Mowgli was trapped. The snake, as I wasn't aware, could shoot itself and headbutt with its head. It found the summer house where Mowgli was being held, located a weak spot on the wall, and five or six headbutts, and likely a massive snake migraine later, Mowgli rushed from the prison. He flew to Baloo and Bagheera, hugging them tightly, all the while saying he was so sorry for everything. This was all his fault. He shouldn't have talked to the Banderlog, despite not having been educated at all about the dangers of talking to the Banderlog. He looked at the bleeding bear, but Baloo shook his head. It was nothing. Mowgli was safe. That was what mattered. The far worse off Bagheera sneered, saying that they would judge if that was the case later. He had been first over the wall, and the monkeys had opened up a gash on his leg that would be a scar he carried for the rest of his days. Ka greeted the man-cub, but quickly told him to get beyond the wall. The monkeys were still entranced, and Ka was hungry. Man-cubs shouldn't see what happened next. He was short and hairless, almost like a monkey himself. Hmm. Ka began his dance, crying out to the banderlog that they were under his power. They were to walk toward him. To Mowgli, it looked like a snake making circles in the dirt. Almost funny, really, but to the banderlog and to Baloo and Bagheera, it was an inescapable trance. Mowgli watched his friend swaying to the rhythm of the python, following the monkeys and walking toward the creature. Mowgli looked at Ka. He didn't know if the snake meant to ensnare the panther and the bear, but he certainly wasn't stopping. Mowgli put his hands on his friends, and they jumped as if they roused from sleep. Bagheera looked around for a split second and realized that they needed to leave. Now, right before he fell into the trance of the snake's dance again. In the end, Mowgli had to rescue his protectors, leading Baloo and Bagheera from the hidden city. The animal's eyes tightly closed. Mowgli looked back to see Ka coiled around one of the banderlog, his jaw getting wider and wider. Mowgli shuddered as he pushed through the ruins of the wall and found himself, once again, in the jungle. Four years later, Bagheera sat on his haunches, watching Mowgli climb a tree. The man-cub was wise, wiser than they could possibly have imagined. Not only that, he was good, and he was strong. But was he strong enough? He had learned everything the bear, the wolves, and the panther could teach him, and yet he hungered for more. Bagheera would catch him looking out at the faraway village glowing in the night, illuminated by the red flower that grew by men. Like the boy, the jungle was changing too. Shere Khan was only supposed to stay in their lands and hunt for a moon or so. He had never left. He had also softened. A few years following Mowgli's acceptance into the pack, some of the youngest wolves were drawn off into the jungle. Toward a fresh kill, they backed up when they saw the tiger feeding, but he only laughed and invited them in. They were little. They wouldn't eat much. After that, the young wolves began to follow Shere Khan around though it was years before the whispers began 
the young wolves were not so young anymore. And Shere Khan began to wonder aloud, why were such strong, powerful creatures consenting to be led by a doddering old wolf like Akela and his little man-cub pet? Shere Khan would shrug and toss them more meat, saying casually that it didn't matter to him, it was just their honor. But the wolves were too caught up in their own politics to pay much attention to him, and every other animal was just struggling to survive. That is, except Bagheera. He'd been watching Shere Khan since the night the tiger arrived in their land. It was the same night as the man-cub. That couldn't have been a coincidence. And neither Shere Khan nor the man-cub left. One evening, far from the ears of the jackal or the porcupine, the Black Panther sat Mowgli down. It was going to happen soon. Someone was going to make a move. Shere Khan was going to take control of the wolf pack. Mowgli shrugged. He knew. Bagheera stopped cold. Mowgli knew? Mowgli went back to fiddling with a leaf. Yeah, Tabiki the jackal, he came around last week talking about how Shere Khan was going to do something big soon. Bagheera pressed further. What exactly did the jackal say? Mowgli tossed away the leaf and picked up another one. Not much. There was a lot of crying though. The jackal said Mowgli wasn't fit to dig pine nuts, which he guessed was an insult. Regardless, he picked the jackal up by the tail and beat him twice against the palm tree. You know, to teach him some manners. Bagheera sighed. That was a bad idea. Tabiki was stupid. Really stupid. If he would have kept talking, he would have said something the tiger didn't want them to know. Look, Akela is old, Bagheera explained. Soon, the day will come when he can't take down his buck, and then his leadership will be challenged. The wolves that supported Father Wolf were getting older, too. Father and Mother Wolf were both aging. When, not if, the time came when Shere Khan made his move, Mowgli, his parents, and any wolf friendly to him would be in danger. Mowgli grimaced and shook his head. No, no, that wasn't the case. He had friends in the pack. Brothers. He had helped out everyone. Removed thorns from paws, picking ticks from their skin. They all loved him. They would defend him, you know, if it came to that, which it wouldn't. Bagheera asked Mowgli to come to him. and feel just beneath his jaw. He'd learn a secret that no one else in the jungle knew. Mowgli reached under his friend's chin and felt a bald spot. It was completely hidden by hair. Bagheera explained, but it was a constant reminder. It was from his collar. He had been born among humans, and it was among humans that his mother died. He had lived his life through iron bars. They had beaten him and they had fed him through iron bars. And, when the time came, he broke the lock and pushed the bars away. He'd run off into the jungle, vowing to never again go near the humans. Until that night, the night the wolves brought one into their pack meeting all those years ago. When Bagheera had seen Mowgli, he knew he had a chance to confront the demons of his past. That was why he paid the price for Mowgli that night. Bagheera told Mowgli to sit. Akela, mother and father wolf, Baloo and he were different. They saw Mowgli for who he really was. He was like the son Bagheera would never have. But the rest of the jungle? Mowgli was different. Mowgli would never be one of them. They only saw the human especially as Mowgli grew from man-cub to man. What are you saying? Mowgli asked, though he worried he had already figured it out. Bagheera said that, just as he had been raised among humans and returned to the jungle, Mowgli needed to return to the humans, or else he would be killed by the wolves and the tiger at the next council. Bagheera watched as Mowgli sat sullen. He refused to believe what Bagheera told him. The wolves were his family, and he didn't know humans at all. 
The law of the jungle was his law, too. It was all he had been raised in, all he knew. He wouldn't abandon it. He would stand strong and, live or die, he would not abandon his pack. Bagheera sighed, and he smiled. Mowgli did it then. He passed the test. The man-cub looked up quizzically. What? Bagheera nodded. Yeah. The man-cub passed the test. He was seeing if the man-cub would do whatever it took for the jungle, for his people, to defend them against the tiger. And he would. So, now that that was out of the way, it was time to think of a plan. Mowgli, not liking that his friend had been a step ahead of him, sat back and listened. Bagheera explained that there was only one thing feared by Shere Khan, the wolves, every animal in the jungle, really. The red flower. It grew outside the huts of humans. Mowgli had probably seen it glowing in the night. Bagheera had grown up among the humans, so he could get close to it. It was wild and dangerous and demanded respect. But, at this point, it was probably safer than going to Council Rock without it. It grew in little pots all around their village, and on sticks and in pits. Bagheera asked Mowgli if he knew where the human village was, and Mowgli nodded. Mowgli needed to go there. He needed to get the red flower and drive Shere Khan from the wolves or kill him. Mowgli gave Bagheera a hug, grazing that hairless patch beneath his skin, and started off toward the humans. When he was out of earshot, Bagheera slumped down inside. He loved the man-cub, but if Shere Khan had been successful on his hunt a little over a decade ago, maybe he could have spared them all so much pain. As Mowgli ran, he heard the howling. It was night. The wolves should have been out hunting. Them howling as a group would scare off every animal for miles. Unless, Mowgli stopped and listened. Tonight was the night. Akela, Akela, let the old wolf show his strength. Give him room. There was a snarling, a snap of jaws, and then silence. The whole wolf pack, not far off, was still. Akela had missed his buck. The old wolf would be challenged. If Bagheera was to be believed, tomorrow would be the night both he and the pack leader died. Mowgli resumed running toward the human village. Not if he got the red flower. Tonight was the night, and he needed to reach the flowers while they were still in darkness. While they were still in bloom. It was nearly morning when Mowgli found the village. He had paused a little ways away. He had never been so close to the humans before. He found a hole in the side of one of their huts and nearly put his head through a window before he realized what glass was. Inside, a mother was rising from bed. They, they looked exactly like Mowgli. Were these his people? He pushed the thought from his head. No, his place was in the jungle. His people were the wolves. He had come for the red flower so he could defend himself against Shere Khan and the ones he had corrupted. That was why it was here. He focused and watched. The mother raked black rocks, and the red flower bloomed and swirled. Mowgli watched intently as she gave it sticks, and it ate them to grow bigger. Mowgli sat and watched her until the sun rose, and she roused a man-cub smaller than Mowgli. She put a few flowers in a pot and handed it to him, kissing him on the forehead and sending him out to the cows. Mowgli watched the mother rouse the father next, and the father also patted the man-cub on his head. There was something beautiful and painful about the whole scene as Mowgli sat transfixed. Fortunately, he sat transfixed for so long that the door next to him opened, 
and the man cub walked out right past him on the way to the cows. Mowgli watched the red flower glow, and he knew that this was his chance. He waited for the door to close, tapped the man cub on his shoulder, and caught the jar with the red flower in it while the little one was still in shock. By the time the boy had the presence of mind to run inside, Mowgli and the red flower had already disappeared far into the tall grass. Now, Mowgli sat in a cave. He didn't tell Mother Wolf or Father Wolf about the red flower. He didn't tell anyone. Everyone in the jungle feared it. Still, as he sat close, feeding the hungry little thing, it felt right. In a time before words, before wolves and tigers and laws, he had slept beside the warm glow of the red flower. It was warm and wonderful. Akela is missed, he heard from behind him. He turned to see Bagheera, the panther, the only animal not scared of the flower from having grown up with humans. Bagheera looked at the flower and sighed. Good. Bagheera said the pack spent most of the night looking for Mowgli. He might be a man cub, but the laws had to be observed. He was part of the pack, and among the people Akela most trusted, he had to be there for a challenge to take place. The laws had to be observed. One thing was certain, Akela would die tonight. And if a new leader took control, Mowgli would be next. Later that night, the pot with the red flower sat hidden between Mowgli's legs. Bagheera had helped him. You had to give it food and air, so Mowgli wove some reeds together to put over the pot to block the light. Now, he listened. He listened as Akela, for the first time in 12 seasons, sat beside the big rock in the center. He listened as Shere Khan, surrounded by his scrap-fed wolves, spoke without permission at the pack meeting. He has no right to speak, Bagheera whispered. Say so. Call him out. Mowgli did. He stood and declared that the leadership was the pack's matter alone. That was the law. But he was met with jeers and calls for silence. Achilles stood. The leader said he knew what they did last night. They drove a massive buck from far away into the jungle. No one from the pack could have taken that thing down. But it was a clever plan and now they had the right to kill him. He asked the group, who came forward to make an end of him. He was old, but he was strong. The first challenger almost never won in these things, and the pack knew that. Half of them had been fed on scraps from Shere Khan's cattle, never really hunting for themselves. The other half was nearly as old as Akela. The old leader might kill three wolves before one finally got him. Oh my gosh, someone do it, Shere Khan roared. You know what? Who cares? Who cares what happens to the toothless old wolf? He's dead anyway. I want the man-cub. The tiger turned toward Mowgli. The man-cub didn't flinch. Some of the wolves cried that the man-cub should be sent back to his own people. Eleven years was long enough. Others said that Mowgli was a member of the pack as much as any of them. Shere Khan's wolves yelled for Mowgli's blood. Akela stepped forward. Mowgli was a brother in all but blood. Then the old wolf sighed. He said he had lived too long. He had seen this pack transform from something honorable into, into this. There were even rumors of them going at night to steal children from the villages with Shere Khan. Akela was going to die, but he knew that all that were left in his pack were cowards. So he made them an offer. Let Mowgli live and return to the villages, and the old wolf wouldn't raise a claw in defense when the time finally came. Kill Mowgli, and Akela would fight to his last breath 
he looked at the wolves who followed Shere Khan. There might not be a pack after Akela was finished with them. Mowgli was a brother. A brother spoken for and bought into this pack, according to the law of the jungle. Among the arguments and snarls that arose after Akela's speech, Mowgli heard one voice behind him. It was Bagheera's, saying that there was nothing to do now but fight. Shere Khan roared at Mowgli when the man-cub turned his back on him. Two things had been accomplished that night. The first was either the wolf pack was going to tear itself apart and kill itself, or he would have a pack loyal only to him. Both outcomes involved him finally getting the man-cub that had been kept from him for so long. That is, if he didn't get a face full of fire. Mowgli walked back a couple of steps, turned, and kicked. The red flower exploded from the pot, and Shere Khan leapt back. There was yelping and barking and roaring as all the creatures jumped back. That is, all except for Mowgli, who stood among the flames. He calmly reached down and picked up a dead branch, holding it in the fire. He leapt over the blaze, and he smacked Shere Khan in the face with the flaming stick. The tiger roared and batted at Mowgli with his good front leg, but Mowgli caught it with the pointed, fiery tip of the stick. The whole pack heard Shere Khan yelp, the same way he had on the night he had pounced on Mowgli's parents' campfire, the night the one-year-old got away from him. The smell of burnt hair filled Council Rock. Mowgli sneered, and he began to beat the tiger. Blood and flames flew, but it was soon that Shere Khan realized that he wouldn't survive this fight. The man-cub was strong, and the fire was too much. He gave one final snarl, but Mowgli was quick. Even with this final threat, Shere Khan lost a few teeth and part of his tongue, as Mowgli jammed the fiery stick in his mouth. The battered tiger limped off into the forest, his following watching him go, but not joining. It was finished. That was when Mowgli caught a shadow in the firelight. As he stood there, chest puffed out and holding a fiery stick, he realized something. He was a man. He had brought the red flower into the jungle to beat and subdue a creature. All the wolves now looked on him with fear. Even those that loved him. Even Akela. Then, he caught the eye of Bagheera, and he knew. He knew the purpose of the Red Flower wasn't to scare Shere Khan away, and to take back his pack. It was never about keeping his pack together. It was about forcing Mowgli to make the hard choice. The right choice. Forcing him to leave. Only humans controlled the red flower, and only humans brought it into the jungle. The wolf pack, now that they had seen him like this, would never take him back. He was a human now, and the only choice for him was to leave the jungle. As he saw how his pack had torn itself apart over him, he knew that Bagheera had been right. He looked on the terrified wolves again, the ones that had been following Shere Khan, and he struck out at them. He hit some, and sparks flew and singed the others. Mowgli said that he was a man, and he had dominion over these dogs. Akela would not die. They would choose a new leader, and the pack would carry on, but Akela would live. And the next time he came to Council Rock, it would be as a man, with Shere Khan's hide on his shoulders, and with the hides of any wolves who still followed him. Mowgli dropped the branch into the pile of embers next to the sideline fire pot, and he strode off into the jungle. When he was far enough away, he collapsed. And, for the first time he remembered, he cried. Bagheera found him as the howls echoed out behind him. He looked at the tears. 
Bagheera told him that it was something humans did, out of sorrow or pain. Bagheera curled up next to his friend, the human he loved as if Mowgli was his own cub. The time was at hand. It was time for Mowgli to leave the jungle. An hour later, as the sun began to rise, Mowgli unwittingly traced his own parents' path out of the jungle. He had stopped by the cave where he had been raised by Mother Wolf and Father Wolf. They had avoided the pack council that night and forbade their own cubs to go. But they had heard about Mowgli. Father Wolf whimpered, saying that he always knew this day would come. He loved Mowgli more than he had ever loved his wolf cubs. His wolf cubs looked up. Seriously, they were sitting right here. Mother Wolf told Mowgli to return to the jungle, and Mowgli nodded. He would. For now, he was going to the humans. It wasn't safe for him in the jungle, and as long as he remained, it wasn't safe for those he cared about. One day, though, he would return, and on that day, he would lay out Shere Khan's hide. Mother Wolf, Father Wolf, Bagheera, and Baloo followed Mowgli to the edge of the jungle. Those were the four that had raised him the closest thing in the world he had to family. He embraced them all, telling them that he would return and set off toward the plowed fields, toward the world of the humans. He didn't stop at the first village, nor the second. They were too close. Shere Khan had been after him his whole life, and Mowgli had berated him and shamed him in front of the jungle he might risk the red flower for a chance at Mowgli. The man-cub couldn't risk it. He pressed on further. He walked past buffalo and horses, ducked to the side of men and women riding along the roads, until, nearly 20 miles inland from the jungle, he found a village. Shere Khan wouldn't follow him this far. For his first time ever, Mowgli entered a village in the full light of day. He was naked, dirty, and unashamed. He stood in the center of the village and opened his mouth, but then he realized that Baloo had never taught him the human hunting call, the one to ask for permission to hunt on their lands. None of the people of the jungle knew the languages of the humans. Furthermore, while Mowgli sat trying to figure out what to say, a crowd was starting to gather, gawking at him and pointing at him like the banderlog did. Mowgli didn't know it, but they were marveling at the boy who survived, the one who had come home from the jungle. Remember, Shere Khan's still out there. So next week, we will finish up the story of Mowgli. Real quickly, I also want to mention that we have an online shop where you can get awesome t-shirts, stickers, and more, all while helping to support the show. For the shop, head on over to shop.bardic.fm. And you might not know this, but we're on Instagram. I do custom episode art each week. So if you want to check those out, look us up at Myth Podcast on Instagram. a couple of creatures this week, and they're both Karakasa from Japan. You know what every umbrella needs? One sole, hairy man leg in the middle. Because I know I've been holding an umbrella and thought, hey, this is too clean and convenient. I'd rather be holding a hobbit foot right now. But wait, there's more. Instead of an umbrella that keeps its mouth shut and does its job, you could have one with one eye in the center 
and a long, oily tongue with which it licks you and everyone you pass. I'm just kidding, of course. You wouldn't actually use this umbrella, as I've talked about way too many times on this podcast. In Japanese folklore, when things stick around for too long, they have a tendency to come to life. So this would be that umbrella that you haven't touched for 100 years, just tucked away in the closet. You might hear a rustling or thumping from far off in your house. Turn around and find the sentient umbrella behind you, standing on its sole, hairy man leg. It'll smile, give you a long, greasy lick, then hop away. It's supposedly not an evil creature, and it won't do you any harm, if you don't consider it sneaking up on you, giving you a lick, and ruining any sense of peace or safety you'll ever have in your own house ever evil. The second creature is also a caracasa, but it's the Hona caracasa, or bone umbrella. If the wind takes your umbrella and turns it inside out, you can be 100% sure that that umbrella's wood or metal has been transformed into bone, and that it's now roaming the sky. If you see one, that means a storm is coming, though really, if the wind is strong enough to turn umbrellas inside out and sweep them up into the sky, the storm's probably already there. There's not much else on the Hona Caracasa, since it often gets overshadowed by the one-eyed umbrella that licks people. So yeah, if you're an enterprising young umbrella, you have a couple of different options for how your life is going to end up. Actually get used and risk turning into an umbrella version of Batman, a large creature with bat wings protecting strangers from storm-related danger, though I guess every umbrella protects people from storm-related dangers, or just sit in the back of a closet, and one day sprout a hairy man leg and greasy tongue, figure out how to wrap those toes around a doorknob, and get to licking. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser. Our story editor was Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.